Hello, welcome to Vet Talk, the veterinary podcast. Remember, a few ways to get in touch with us are emailing theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com, or even better, reaching out to our Facebook page, Vet Talk, the veterinary podcast. This episode is on equine nutrition. The first thing we need to do is discuss why we are talking about and why we want good nutrition for our horses. Simply put, it is to have a healthy functioning horse that can do the tasks that need to be completed. Our horses cannot perform if their bodies don't have the proper building blocks in them to function efficiently. Functioning being basic life processes such as breathing or performing at whatever task the horse needs to do. If the body doesn't have the food or energy it needs to function at the cellular level, there's no way that a horse can function at the performance level. Nutrition is what gives us the basics for life, function, and performance. We need to determine how to judge if a horse is receiving proper nutrition. I want you all to imagine three pictures of horses. One is a horse that is as round as a tick, and you can picture it eating happily. One might consider it to be a giant tick at first glance. When I gave this discussion as a lecture, I asked everyone if this was a good-looking horse to raise their hand. No one did. Then I put up a picture of a horse that looked like the horse I learned my equine anatomy with, except this one was still living. This was an abuse case of skin and bones. No one raised their hand on that horse either. Then I put up a picture of the most beautiful horse alive, perfection in every way. The only horse that could ever come close to being as perfect as this horse would be Shadowfax himself. Thankfully, everyone caught on that the picture I put up was a picture of my own horse and they raised their hands saying this was a good looking horse. I gave extreme examples, from fat to skinny to perfection. And obviously, I may have been biased a little with the whole situation. I mean, how many of us don't think our animals are perfect? Well, except when they won't be caught, or your cat knocks things off your nightstand to wake you up an hour before your alarm is supposed to go off. Or, anyway, back to the original premise. We can be biased, and as good horse owners and veterinarians, we want to have an unbiased way of determining if an animal is outwardly appearing to have good nutrition. So to help us with this, we use a body condition score. You can look those up on the internet, and they get really in-depth with assessing where fat and muscle should be on an animal. I learned it all going through vet school, and what I basically end up breaking it down to in my mind is a much simpler process, which I will explain to you. We grade based on a system of 1 through 9, 1 being thin, 9 being fat. We want a horse to be 4 to 6, which is considered normal. 7 to 9 is fat, 1 to 3 is thin. I tell my clients 3 is where we start to see ribs, 2 is where I see backbone or spine on the animal, and 1 is where I see a skeleton. A body condition score of 9 is basically a round, tick-looking animal, 8 being, I know it's a horse, but I couldn't feel bones beneath the fat. And 7 has maybe a crease down the back between the fat folds. A crusty neck, but I still see the main form of the animal. So you're asking, why is this important? Well, like I said, we are biased, so often I see clients ignore their horse's condition. It appeared slowly, so no one noticed that they got fat or skinny. Sometimes an outside, unbiased perspective is good. Also from my experience, horses are hurt by being an American. 
Americans are kind of known for being large. Even in science, everyone learns that 2.2 kilograms, which is what the rest of the world uses for weight measurement, and I wish we would use, equals one pound. We think bigger. I mean, why shouldn't we? We have Texas. Heck, we have Alaska. We like things big. But that can lead to a lot of problems with our horses. So I end up telling a lot of my clients their animals need to lose weight. They think a body condition score of a 7 or 8 is normal because fleshy equals healthy, right? No, it adds extra stress to the joints and hurts how the body functions. We aren't meant to be fat. Anyway, that's another discussion. I can typically reduce the weight on those animals by reducing food intake and increasing their exercise. What we will focus on today is more the underweight horse. I feel like a camp counselor when I talk about fat horses, and I feel like a doctor when I'm trying to get weight back on horses. I do more with the underweight horses because fat horses are typically when owners need to do more or less with the horse. More work, less food. 30 minutes of exercise twice a week will enhance the ability of insulin to use glucose in the body. 30 minutes of exercise where you sweat. Well, where the horse sweats. You chasing your horse around to catch him around the field making you sweat doesn't count. Well, at least not for the horse. 30 minutes twice a week will start to lower its weight. It's science and common sense. So on to weight gain. First, a few things that can cause weight loss in horses are parasites, improper dental care, gastric ulcers, and improper feeding. I will have a whole episode on parasite resistance, so we won't get into that much today. We will get started with how a horse digests its food and what they need to be properly fed to keep the proper amount of weight on a horse. I went to Dr. Google and asked for a consult about where horses came from. He told me, as grass species began to appear and flourish, the equids' diets shifted from foliage to grasses, leading to larger and more durable teeth, lengthening of limbs, and the lifting of some toes from the ground in such a way that the weight of the body was gradually placed on one of the longest toes, the third. Dr. Google. So what does this mean? Well, horses evolved over thousands and thousands of years to become something that ate grass and walked around all day until they met a predator where they ran away from that predator. Basically, the life of a horse is eating grass and walking with brief stints of running. This is where, in my lectures, I inserted a picture of a horse on the plains. Very scenic, very pretty. Mountains in the background, blue sky, it was just standing there eating grass and enjoying being a horse. Then I put up a picture of the horse we seem to have today. The horse was standing there, had nothing to eat, I mean it had water and a hay bag in the stall. Uh, stall was about 20 by 20. It was a very nice stall. Cushioned floors and a little window for a horse to look out. Uh, there were some trees that were behind the barn it was in. In the picture, the feeding schedule was two scoops of grain twice a day and free choice hay and water. So do you see the two images in your head? Can you see the difference in the two and how it might affect the horse? The horse in the stall received a high-energy diet and lived in a confined space like humans. What's the problem here? Horses aren't humans, are they? I've never heard it as a compliment that someone has a face like a horse. Yet in the reverse, we are treating horses like humans. Why are we doing this? This is where I really want to start and break things down. We aren't smarter than God. We need to learn to help animals live how they were designed to rather than personifying them and making them live like us. 
As humans, we like our boxes. Especially my dad and grandfather. They have a box for everything, and you can't see what's in the box. It, anyway, as people, we like having heat in the winter, we like air conditioning in the summer, and we like having three square meals a day. We like having somewhere to come home to after a long day of work, and because we love our horses, we want to give them the same. But we forget horses, from an evolutionary standpoint, are used to walking miles and miles and miles a day, eating the whole time. So what are you saying, Doc? How am I supposed to feed my horse? Well, let's start out with grass, then some grass, then some more grass, then maybe some dry hay, grass, and then some more grass. Do you see my point? The best way to feed a horse is to give it good nutrition, and that is described in a quote from an unknown prophet. This prophet said, provide long stem forage and only use concentrate feed to satisfy requirements if forages can't. I'll let that sink in. Has it sunk in yet? Excellent. If not, you need to pause the episode for a second and come back when it has sunk in. Well, now that you are back and understand that, uh, I guess the talk is over. My point has been made. Ha <laughs> ha, no, I'm going to tell you why that's true. One of the biggest problems with equine nutrition is people personify horses. So let's look at why horses and people are not the same. For example, their digestive tract. We pretty much have the same parts, they just look a little different. We both have stomachs, but the horse's stomach empties rapidly. It's small compared to the entire horse. Why is it small? Well, a horse walks all day and eats small amounts all day. Watch a horse the next time you see it in a field, or when you have it on a lead line. It's going to walk. Take a bite of grass, walk a few more steps, take a few more bites of grass, and then raise its head up and look around for a predator. Or even more dangerous, an owner that may have a halter and bridle wanting to go for a ride. Seeing no predator or owner, it puts its head back down to the ground and grabs another bite to eat. The stomach didn't need to be big because it always has a small amount of food in it. It pushes the food on quickly. It's grass that has been chewed up in the mouth and is about ready to be digested, so it needs to go to where it can be digested. Humans eat a few times a day, but larger meals at once. Our stomach is bigger in us. It holds the food, often chunks of meat, and mashes it up more so it is ready to be digested. But we don't eat all day long. We get the food all at once, kind of like a chipmunk filling its mouth with nuts, and then go on about our day. A horse eats as it goes about its day. So when we give a horse a big meal, the stomach fills up fast and empties fast, and then it is still hungry. A horse is used to walking and eating 18 hours a day, not eating just three times a day. A few other highlights. If you trace your finger in a circle around your belly, that is pretty much your large intestine. A horse's large intestine is gigantic. If you pat your horse on the belly, anywhere on the belly, above your hand, large intestine. Our appendix is equivalent to the cecum in the horse. An average sized horse has a cecum the size of a small child. Our cecum does little and we can live without, i.e. to those listeners who have had their appendix out, while the horse needs it for fermentation and energy. So there are gigantic, literally and figuratively speaking, differences in a horse's GI tract from a human's. So let's move on. 
The food gets into the small intestine from the stomach where it is broken down into disaccharides and monosaccharides. These are then absorbed into the bloodstream where they are converted into glucose or glycogen. Glucose is what the body uses and glycogen is what the body stores. Then whatever is left, typically cellulose and hemicellulose, which is from plants, goes on to the cecum and large colon where it undergoes fermentation, which provides even more energy for the horse. This is actually where the horse gets most of its energy because most of what it eats is plant material. However, this is where the problem starts. Starch is what is in most concentrate feeds. If you remember, is what is taken out in the small intestine. The small intestine isn't good at digesting starches because the horse isn't used to getting a lot of starch from plants. So when we feed high amounts of starch, most of it will pass through the small intestine because the horse can't absorb it all in the time before the intestines move the starch to the large intestine. Remember, a horse is designed to move things quickly to the large intestine because grass is what they are designed to eat. And the large intestine is not used to getting extra starches. So chemically, more lactic acid is made, which will decrease the pH or make it more acidic. That all seems rather complex, and I actually put that in for the vet students. But the take-home from that is when the pH decreases from more starch or grains, more gases and toxins are made from bacteria in the gut, and that can cause laminitis or colic. Or maybe it will increase the blood glucose, which results in increased insulin, and when insulin is constantly in the body, the body begins to ignore it. Kind of like the boy who cried wolf. If you cry wolf so much, you are ignored. If insulin acts on its receptors so much that it is ignored, that leads to hyperglycemia and other problems. What does this mean, you say? It means to all those people who are complaining that their horse is hyper when they give it extra grain, there's lots of starch in grain, guess what? You are making your horse hyper. Feeding rich grains to a horse is like giving a kid a candy bar. It's going to hype them up. And sure, it's fun for grandma to give the grandchildren some candy before sending them home, but it certainly doesn't help the parents. In this case, it may do more than push back the child's bedtime. With the horse, if this is done consistently enough, or in a certain sense inconsistently enough in large amounts, the pH of the large intestine in the colon can drastically change. Normally, a horse's pH is 6.7 through 6.8. If it drops below 6.5, you're going to see diarrhea. If it drops below 6.0, 80% of horses will develop some form of laminitis. So this is a little more serious than grandma just giving a candy bar to a kid. When we treat our horses to rich foods, we can kill them. This is why I get back to grass. Grass fixes everything with horses. They can digest it and prevent the problems we just discussed. If a horse is in pasture eating grass and walking around, studies show that, in that intestinal motility is better, which decreases colic problems. Movement also leads to healthier hooves, which is the foundation of a functional horse. When a horse is fed well and eats well, how it was designed to, its body can function well. Proper feeding is critical, and feeding horses properly is critical. So how do we feed our horses properly? Well, a lot of us naturally do what we need to. As I discussed a second ago, we need to make it so their body can digest properly and function properly. Movement and small amounts of food throughout the day help with that. 
a horse needs to be well hydrated as well to digest food and in general for proper body functioning to occur. A horse needs free choice water all day long. Of course it depends if a horse is exercising, lactating, or how hot or how cold it is outside to determine how much they will drink, but in general they're going to drink about 24 liters a day, which is about one gallon per 100 pounds of body weight per day. We can provide this with a lake, a creek, an automatic waterer, water troughs, or a plain simple bucket. We can't forget that horses need a salt block in order to keep the proper amount of salt in their bodies. Lastly, they need forage. In general, a thousand pound horse will need 11 pounds of forage or hay or grass a day. So I get asked a lot, which is better, hay or grass? Grass, of course, but horses do fine with hay too. Basically, grass, hay are both forages. We come into problems with the concentrates or your grains and sweet feeds because of the starch in them. So we don't want starch and forages, so what do we want our forages to consist of? Forages, whether in the field or as hay, need to have at least 55% energy and 10 to 12% crude protein. Oh my gosh, how the crap do we figure that stuff out? Well, if you take your hay sample to your local extension agent, they will very likely be able to help you figure out those numbers. But equine nutritionists have done a lot of studies to show that is the basic amount that grass and hay need to have of energy and protein. Lucky for us, a good quality pasture meets those requirements. So all we have to do to feed our horse is put them on good quality pasture 24-7. Yay! That's easy! Everyone needs a pony! But guess what? We don't all have the recommended 2-5 to five acres of pasture for a horse, so often they get barn time. So that is when we supplement with hay. In general, you need to feed 0.75 to 1% of a horse's body weight per day. For a 1,000-pound horse, that is about 10 pounds of hay a day. On a side note, you can supplement beet pulp or cottonseed holes for hay. Okay, so I hear you now asking, why are there entire industries revolving around selling horse food if all we need is pasture? Well, there's no perfect world and there are times when concentrate is needed. Concentrate food is your grains and pellets, which gets more energy in the horse and smaller amounts of food. We discussed some of the bad things that can happen with this, but again, we have to think of the horse and what we are asking of it. The horse is fine on its pasture eating and walking all day, with an occasional run from a predator, but we are asking our horses to perform. Maybe they run a derby trail ride all weekend, or I Civil War reenact with my horses. So these horses are using more than the normal amount of energy. How do we deal with that? Well, that is where we need to supplement concentrate food to meet the energy deficit from excess work. So how do I apply that? Well, let's say a horse is ridden one, to, one or two times a week, and it just kind of walks around the front yard. That horse is fine with his pasture as food. Let's say the horse trains for an event three times a week. That's where I make 25% of his diet a concentrate food and 75% pasture or forage. Strenuous work like racehorses and training or jumpers need about 40% concentrate. And then your elite athletes such as endurance horses or true Kentucky Derby horses need about 50% concentrate. It's like Michael Phelps. He does so much work that he has to increase the amount of food he eats. 
I mean, how do you expect him to win gold and stare down obnoxious Frenchmen if he doesn't have the proper amount of energy from his food? It's the same with horses. They're athletes, so when they do more work, we have to feed them more and potentially feed them more concentrated food to get more energy in for less amount of actual space. But guess what? I have a few rules with concentrate feed because most of my clients don't need to give any concentrate feed at all. Mainly, my clients need it as an incentive, a handful of grain to make the horse come up once a day so you can catch it if you need and check to make sure it's still healthy. But if you do have a horse that needs some more concentrate, then I like frequent small meals better than all at once. Remember, horses are used to eating all day long. Also, no more than 0.5% of the body weight of an animal in one meal, hence why you have to have multiple small meals. Lastly, if you are starting concentrate, work up to the full amount you need slowly. If you're going to feed a pound of concentrate and the horse hasn't had any, start out giving a fourth a pound for a few days, then half a pound, and then slowly work up to the amount you want. This will prevent stomach problems and diarrhea. Okay, with our basic horses, we have how they need to eat and what they need to eat, but there are always unique situations. What do I do if my horse is pregnant? Well, first, no diet. I don't know why, but I've had clients tell me they put their animals on a diet when it gets pregnant, and that doesn't make sense to me. The mother will be eating for two, so it needs more. Granted, there are certain times it needs more. The first eight months of the pregnancy, I don't change from its regular diet. The foal or baby horse is too small in those first eight months to really affect a healthy horse. At nine months, I will increase the food to 1.11 times maintenance levels. Then at 10 months, 1.13 times. Then at 11 months, 1.2 times maintenance. Then we get to the important part, birth and lactation. Lactation is when a mother uses most of its energy for the pregnancy. So for a horse, I will feed a mare 3 to 3.5% 3 of its body weight per day and often a higher energy food. This is the biggest mistake I see with mares. The people who feed a horse more through the pregnancy may stop when the horse is lactating. But that milk it is producing requires more energy to make than it does to actually make the foal. So if you have a pregnant mare, the lesson from this is to make sure you don't stop feeding when that little bag of goo is born. Okay, speaking of that little bag of goo, and yes, I call all babies bags of goo because they're more water than anything else. For some reason, my friends with children don't see the term as affectionate or as accurate as I do. <clears throat> anyway, that bag of goo will grow. Horses grow from 4 to 24 months of age. They may fill out more muscle later, but at 2 years of age you will see the size that the horse will be. Depending on how much the animal is growing and when you put your horse through training, they need 1.5 to 3.5% of their body weight in food a day. This is very variable because everyone trains a growing horse differently. At my farm, my family tends to do only light groundwork and basic handling until the horse is about four years of age. So we don't have to feed too heavily. But if you are running the horse and lunging it into a sweat for hours through the day, that horse will need more food. That gets through most of the feeding. To tie up a few loose ends, I do recommend salt blocks, especially in the heat of the summer. They need to be at least 10 to 12% calcium, 8 to 10% phosphorus and 90 parts per million of selenium to be a good salt block. 
Also, be careful with the calcium-phosphorus ratio. You want it to be about 2 to 1 to 1. That's with salt blocks and forages. If you feed all clover legumes, those are usually 6 to 8 to 1 ratio and can cause some endocrine problems in the horse. Pasture, it seems, was designed for horses. It has a calcium-phosphorus ratio, which is naturally about 1 to 1. Again, it's like grass was made for horses to eat. As far as supplements, I recommend testing. You test and see if a horse needs something, and if it does, you give them a supplement. Just remember, not all supplements work for every horse, and some supplements don't work at all. Then on the flip side, as a horse ages, a supplement may not work the same as it once did in the past. So be very careful about not wasting your money on supplements that aren't working. Sometimes I recommend taking a horse off a supplement or trying a different one if the supplement cannot be directly measured so you can see if it is having any effect. I've seen where some supplements stop working and either you don't need the supplement or you need a different supplement. Let's see, uh, oh yes, vitamins and minerals. Phosphorus, selenium, copper, zinc, and vitamin A are all vitamins that can be supplements. Again, test to see if you need to supplement or check with your local agricultural agent to see if the region is lacking in a certain vitamin. But most of the time, those vitamins get into the horse well from, oh, 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 you guessed it, the grass. Vitamin A is one that is depleted in the horse within two months after removal from the pasture. So that may need to be supplemented in the winter months when horses are living in barns more. So, there was a lot of information in this discussion, and there was more I wanted to get into. But I want you to start realizing is the boxes we are forcing our horses into and the boxes we live in. This world is our box. There is finite space in it, and we have adapted to live in it, much as horses adapted to live on the wide open plains. When we put them in a field with a fence, we have to realize we have given them a smaller box, and it is our responsibility as owners to provide for them in that box everything they need for survival. Most people do that, but we need to realize that we have to provide what horses need, not what we think they need. We don't want to kill our horses with kindness. We want to provide them with long, healthy lives with us, and we can do that by realizing what they need and what they're lacking when we put them in smaller and smaller boxes. A horse in a stall will need a lot more attention to keep it healthy than a horse in a large, healthy field. I hope this information gives you a better idea how the horse functions and what the horse needs to function in regards to diet. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us via theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com or Facebook at Vet Talk, the Veterinary Podcast. One other thing. These lectures do take time and money to produce and put on. They are meant to be a resource for people and are free to listen to. If you feel the episode was very helpful, I have it set up so you can help cover some of the cost of creating these lectures. Simply go to lickingvalleyvet.com slash vet talk and there's a payment section. Anyway, I appreciate it and hope you found this episode helpful. We'll see you next time.